We're going to be together this morning in Luke chapter 18. We've been working our way through the Gospel of Luke. And uh, we're getting now, we're making our way to the end. We're coming to the exciting part, really, if you will. I mean, the whole, the whole book has been wonderful and really exciting, and, and I have enjoyed deeply our study through it. Now, as we're, we're coming here, we're getting close to the end, and the, the focus really shifts. And in some ways, uh, it slows down a lot. Luke takes a lot of time to just slow down, and we get a lot of information about the last week of Jesus. And so as we come along in a, in a couple of weeks, we're going to be at the, uh, the triumphal entry of Christ into Jerusalem. That's not too far away. And then we start looking at all of these events that take place during that time between that, uh, that week when he enters and then when he dies. And so there's so much that's jam-packed into there. And I'm excited about it because it gives us a lot of time to really take in all of these things that Jesus did and everything he taught about as we're approaching the celebration of Easter in, in April. So we'll be well and truly uh, having our minds fixed on why Jesus came and what he has done and all those wonderful things that he's, he's done along the way. And so, as we said here, as we come to Luke chapter 18 and uh, look here at the last, or at least a small portion of Luke 18, Luke really starts to narrow his focus here and he's really aiming and fixing our attention on Jesus' death. His his purpose has always been very clear. So Luke hasn't strayed from his purpose in wanting us to know that the reason he wrote this, he wants us to know that Jesus came to be uh, the the savior of the lost, to seek and to save those that are lost. And so he's been moving that. And now we're we're getting to see that real pinnacle, the climax of all of that as we come here. In the last few weeks, if you even look back over the last few chapters of Luke chapter 16, 17, before you see Jesus talks a lot about the kingdom. So we've talked a lot about his coming kingdom in the past weeks. And, and I have a feeling that as Jesus has been talking about the kingdom that he came to bring and what the kingdom was and all of those things and, and putting our minds on what he really intended to bring in, who he really intended to be as the great king of kings. I have a feeling that as he was, was teaching that and talking about that and explaining about the kingdom, that he couldn't help but think about how the kingdom was going to come. How was the kingdom going to come? The kingdom was going to come through the cross. So as much as we look and we think about the glory of what was going to come, that Jesus is going to bring this glorious and final kingdom of his where he will rule in perfection and it will be the most glorious eternity of all. And as much as we rejoice in that, I think through all of this time that Jesus was teaching us and telling us who would be and who wouldn't be in there, at the front of his mind was always, before that kingdom comes, suffering must come. And we've seen, I think, parts of that as he's, he's gone through. And I think that might be part of the reason why we come to this portion of Scripture. Just after Jesus has been talking about the eternal age, we come here to Luke 18 and verse 31. I'm just going to read a few short verses here. It says in verse 31 of Luke 18, Then he took the twelve aside and said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished. For he will be delivered to the Gentiles and will be mocked and insulted and spit upon. 
They will scourge him and kill him, and the third day he will rise again. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not know the things which were spoken. Let's ask God's blessing on his word this morning. Our Heavenly Father, as we come to your word and we listen to your explanation, at least in part here, about why you came, Lord, encourage us in it, strengthen us, and fill us with a passion that you had for people, for this world, and for the salvation which you have so freely given. We thank you and praise you in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. So the kingdom that Jesus comes to bring, the kingdom that Israel has been waiting for, the one that we as God's people look for, must come through suffering. It was a truth which was never far from his mind. In fact, just previously in chapter 17, when we looked some weeks ago, in the midst of him talking about the kingdom, he says in verse 25, but first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. So even in the midst of him talking about what was coming, saying first suffering must come. Jesus leaves the crowds here. So he's been talking and in in part arguing with the Pharisees, not so much arguing, but correcting them and pointing out their errors. He's been talking to the the, the great crowds and explaining all of this to them. And now here for a moment, uh, he, he takes the 12, just the 12, and he brings them aside and he tells them these things here. This is what he speaks. He speaks just to the 12 here. Now the purpose in this and the purpose in these verses that he gives here is to understand why Jesus came. So our, our thoughts this morning are not, uh, are not difficult. They're straightforward. They're simple. Jesus lays it out here, but they're important. We want to see and be reminded about why Jesus came. And as we do that, perhaps we can gain some strength in seeing how God works, what that means in our own lives as God works. So we begin this morning thinking firstly about this, that Jesus' mission was great. His mission was a great mission. As he lived, and it's been very clear that Luke sees that and has shown us that, that he has lived with purpose. He has lived his life with with one goal, with one mission, with one great purpose. He knew who he was here for. So as Jesus has been talking to the crowds and speaking to all those people, now he takes these 12 aside and he speaks with them. It has been very clear through the gospel, it's very clear through what Jesus has to say, that his purpose for coming was to seek and to save the lost. He didn't come to reform the religious structure. He didn't come to to be a, a political influencer or to try and change society through the way he did things. He had his purpose, his mission was that, was to come and to provide salvation. That's why he came. His heart was to reach those in need with the love and forgiveness of God. I think in two broad ways we see him do this. We see him so often as he's reaching out and preaching the gospel to the the ones in need. We see him going to the outcast and the troubled and the the people who who know that they need the gospel, who know that they need something from God, that they can't do it on their own. And so he goes to those, the ones who recognize their weakness, and he shows them the gospel. He shows them the love and the forgiveness of God and how they can know life. 
But he doesn't just spend all of his time reaching out to those in need. Because as those people come to him and they believe in him and see that, that he is what they need, then they believe in him. Then he begins to teach them. And he takes time to teach those who believe, especially the twelve. See, because when he goes, it's going to be these people who take his message to the world, who continue his purpose and his mission. Of course, he did other things, and he spoke of other things. We've seen it already as he, he talks to the, the, the Pharisees, and he talks to other people, and he will, will do things purely out of the compassion of his heart. But he never, ever let anything take him away from his mission, that his job was, that his mission was to reach people with the love and forgiveness of God to find the salvation they desperately need and to teach those who believe what they needed to know of him. He knew who he came for. He knew where he was going. Our text here this morning says, Then he took the twelve aside and he said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem. They've been on their way to Jerusalem for a little while now coming down from Galilee and making their way to Jerusalem. This was an expected trip for the twelve. They were with him, they were on there, and the reason they were going from Galilee down to Jerusalem was to get there by the time of the Passover. They were going there to celebrate the Passover. So they, they knew what they were going for, they were taking their time to get there, and they made a few detours and pit stops along the way for Jesus to do what needed to be done. But they knew what they were doing and where they were going. What they didn't know was that this year at Passover... Jesus would be the Passover lamb. They are on their way to Jesus' last Passover, where he would die and he would bear the sins of all. This journey, which we see Jesus on here, began, as far as Luke puts it in contact for us, back in Luke chapter 9, where it says, Now it came to pass, when the time had come for him to be received up, that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. Jesus knows where he's going. He knows what's ahead of him. He's not going to be distracted. He is on his way to Jerusalem because he needs to be there. He's going there to bring salvation. And like I said, this year, he is going to be the Passover lamb. Oh, sure, thousands of lambs will be put to death this year, but none of them will take away sin. But Jesus will. The reason he was going to Jerusalem was to save sinners from judgment, to bring freedom from sin. That is where he was going, to bring salvation. He tells us in John, he says, Now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. That's why he came, to do this job, to meet this need. He lived with a purpose, and living with a purpose, he did so to fulfill the Father's plan. The last part of verse 31 says, And all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished. He knew why he was going there. So he was headed to Jerusalem. He knew who he was going there for. He knew why, how he was going and where he was going, and he knew why he was going. Of course, the why is to bring salvation. But then we need to ask, why is he doing that? Why is he going to Jerusalem to bring salvation? The real answer to the why question 
The real answer to the question of why is he going to bring salvation is this. He was going to do this because that's what the Father wanted done. That was the Father's will. The Father's will was that he would go and that he would die for the sins of those who would believe. So in John chapter 6 and verse 38, Jesus says, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. To do the will of the Father. He prayed the same thing the night before he died. In the garden, when he's asking, let this cup pass from me. I don't want to have to bear this. If I don't have to, please don't let me. But nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. He would pray to the Father. Jesus wasn't just taking life as it came. He wasn't just making his way through. He wasn't just seeing what would happen. A lot of people believe that. A lot of people believe that Jesus died purely as an accident. That's just how things worked out. He found himself in a place where he was uh, a leader, that people didn't like that, and so he, he died, and that's the way he went. There are a lot of people, a lot of Christians, or people who say Christians, who believe Jesus' death was happened purely by accident. But it wasn't an accident. His mission was to bring the Father glory by providing salvation from sin for those who would believe. And he knew what he was doing. He knew what was before him. He knew what to do because it had all been planned. Every part, everything that Jesus was doing and everything he was going before had had all been planned. The great sermon in Acts chapter 2 says him, that is Jesus, being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. You have taken by lawless hands and have crucified and put to death. This God knew what was going on. God planned it. He purposed it. This is how he planned to do uh, what he was going to do all along. This is how he would save us from sin. And this wasn't the first time Jesus had spoken about this. And, and you know that even through Luke, we've seen, oh, three or four times already where he has hinted at this or spoke about it in a little form or other, that this is why he came. This was no secret. Knowing we would need saving, God planned to save us. So at the moment of our fall, when mankind fell into sin in the Garden of Eden, at the beginning, when we chose ourselves over God, from that moment, God's plan was already in motion. It was already working. There was no scrambling around, figuring out, what do we do now that man's fallen into sin? God knew what he was going to do. He planned it. He had prepared it and planned every detail. The Old Testament is full, absolutely full of the prophecies of his death. Jesus tells us here that he would fulfill every one of them. It will not be easy. What he has before him will not be easy. Which is why Jesus said back in Luke chapter 12, but I have a baptism to be baptized with and how distressed I am till it is accomplished. This weighed heavily on his mind through his whole life. He knew why he was here. The promise which began back in Genesis chapter 3 to us is repeated over and over and over again through scriptures. So much of the Jewish worship structure was centered around the coming of a savior. The whole idea of Passover was about that, what they were going to worship. Isaiah chapter 53, one of the great passages of Scripture which prophesies of of Jesus' coming. 
says that he will die for the sins of others. Psalm 22. The whole psalm is a, is a prophetic psalm of Jesus' death, which describes in some detail uh, a form of death that the Jews didn't even know of, describing how he would be crucified and tortured. Tells us in Psalm 22 and verse 1 that he would be abandoned by the Father. Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 10, it says that we would look on him whom they have pierced. This was no accident. What Jesus was going to do was no accident. He wasn't just planning things on the run. This was a perfect and meticulously planned mission carried out in the perfect time. Every detail is taken care of. Every moment accounted for. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. There were no details left out of the plan. There were no changing of the plans along the way because something didn't go the way he thought it would. Every detail was exactly as it was meant to be. Jesus' mission was great. Secondly, we come to understand that Jesus' mission was difficult. In verse 32 of our text, it says, For he will be delivered to the Gentiles and will be mocked and insulted and spit upon. They will scourge him and kill him. And the third day, he will rise again. The cross couldn't be missed. By that, I mean, we can't skip over it. It couldn't be bypassed. There was no other way for the kingdom to come. There was no other way for God to bring all of those great promises and fulfill all of those things he'd made, except to go by the way of the cross. It couldn't be skipped. It could not be missed. So Jesus tells us here that he will be mocked and he will be insulted. He actually gives us more detail here than he often gives when he speaks of this. Telling us that he'll be mocked and spit upon. He shows this weighed on him heavily. This was not an easy or light burden for him to bear, but isn't it intriguing perhaps that even under that weight... Even knowing that he lived this whole life, knowing that this is what he was here for, living his life, knowing that he was living to die, to bear the sins of others, that under that weight, knowing how he would die, he lived joyfully. And he lived an uplifting life. Jesus didn't wander around mopey and grumpy and complaining that I'm here and what I'm here to do is not easy he never, whenever he told the disciples about what he came to do, he never said, oh, look, I really don't want to do it, but, you know, this is what I've got to do. He was always encouraging them and lifting them up and letting them know, this is why I came, and I'm going to do it with joy. Hebrews tells us that. He says, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. He carried that load. He carried that burden with joy goodness what would make this whole thing worse the whole burden heavier for him is that he knew that this that he was going to do this death on the cross that he was headed to he would do alone you know, we we look and we when we think about the trials we we go through and and understand how we're going to get through those or think how we're going to bear the burden of trial we gain courage and we gain encouragement 
from the fact that we have people that can bear us through it. God has promised to us that he would never leave us or forsake us and that he will carry us through. And we have the people of God to encourage us and help us through those times. But here, Jesus knew that when he came to the cross, he would be completely and utterly alone. No one else was going to carry this burden with him. No one else was going to support him through it. it tells us he's rejected by Israel. He's delivered by Israel to the Gentiles. The people he'd come to, to save. The people that said that he was their God, at least in word, would reject him. Abandon him. The disciples... The twelve who he's speaking with right here, when the time comes, all of them will flee and they will run. John alone will be at the cross when the time comes. He will be alone. Those that he had given his life for disappear. But worst of all, the darkest, literally the darkest and blackest moment for Christ is the time when the Father turns his face away. When the Father himself can no longer look with satisfaction or look with with joy and pleasure on the Son because he bears the sins of the world, turns his face away. And the Son is left on the cross to cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He will be completely Alone. Every part of this, every part of the whole process which he is about to go through, which at this point in, in our, our context of what's going on is not very far away, every part of what will happen will be not just difficult but humiliating. Absolutely humiliating. Here he describes it by saying he will be mocked and insulted and spit upon. Judas when the time comes, will pretend and act like all is well and betray him with a kiss. The mark of a friend. It's mocking. The trials which Jesus will go through as he's kicked from one court to the other to the other and kicked from one person to the other to try and get this done, they will all be a complete miscarriage of justice. He's treated not just with disrespect but with utter contempt. Complete and utter contempt. They will tease him. And they will torment him. And even as Jesus says here, they will spit upon him. Is there anything more degrading, anything more humiliating, anything that shows more contempt for someone than to spit on them? See, that's all it was. All that mocking and all of that was simply to degrade him, to humiliate him. Everything about what Jesus was about to go through was wrong. None of it was right. It's all completely unjust, at least from our perspective. He was treated with absolute contempt. He was mocked and insulted and then he tells us he was killed by us all. The intensity of his trial, uh, uh, that, that is the, what he is about to endure, comes through as he speaks about this. They will scourge him and kill him. 
The whole thing, this, this, this was exhausting. It was destroying. It was crushing. It's interesting, I, as I was reading and studying this week, it was brought to my attention through a, a, a scholar in a, a commentary that it's interesting to see as the New Testament describes for us uh, our sufferings and what we endure and the suffering of Christ, the different words are used. So when it speaks about our suffering, it speaks of our suffering in the singular. It says that we endure suffering, that we suffer. But as you read through the New Testament over and over again, when it speaks about the suffering of Christ, it speaks of it in the plural, his sufferings. So in places like 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 5, for as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. That's not the only place. Philippians, he's described it like that. Hebrews chapter 2 describes his sufferings. First Peter, and Peter likes to use that. He describes it several times in his first epistle. Every time he speaks of the suffering of Christ, he says the sufferings of Christ. It doesn't mean that our suffering isn't significant, but that we haven't suffered nearly as deeply as he did for us. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3 and 4, it says, For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. That is, look to him, see what he's done, take courage from him. Verse 4, you have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against him. Look to Jesus, look what he endured, look what he's done. Why would you do that? Because you haven't come near to that kind of suffering yet. You think your suffering is difficult. Christ's was far deeper than you can imagine. Look to him and find courage, find strength. Not just the intensity of his death that is portrayed here, but also the extent of the guilty is shown here. He says in verse uh, 32, for he will be delivered, delivered by who? By the Jews. To who? To The Gentiles. Jesus is rejected by the Jews and delivered by them to the Gentiles who will carry out the process of putting him to death. What is Jesus saying in those words? When he says he's being delivered to the Gentiles and they will kill him, what is he saying? We are all guilty. It's not one group or the other. We can't say it was the Jews who killed Jesus or we can't say it was the Romans who killed Jesus. Jesus is saying... We all killed him. Nobody is without guilt. Everybody is guilty for the death of Jesus Christ. Sin resides in every one of us, and every one of us are guilty for his death. We cannot escape it. We are guilty. It was our sin that nailed him to the cross. But the cross would not be the end. He finishes that, and though he says they will scourge him and kill him, and the third day he will rise again. The cross couldn't be missed, but the cross will not be the end. Sin and death will not win. If Jesus ended there, if he hadn't put on those last few words there, perhaps we would be left without hope. All of that kingdom talk, which has filled the last few chapters of Luke, all of that would be empty words. 
What point is it to talk about a kingdom that's going to come if the one who says he's going to be the king is dead? It would all be empty. But Jesus didn't come to tell us about uh, uh, sin and death. He didn't come to, to show us how to live with sin and death. Jesus came to destroy sin and death. That's why he came, to provide a way of escape for it, to overcome it. He would rise again. Jesus wasn't going to remain dead. This was all part of the plan. It was all part of the prophecies. In Psalm chapter 16, For you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. He would conquer sin and death by rising from the dead. Paul would say it this way in 1 Corinthians 15, But now Christ is risen from the dead and become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. That is, Christ rose, but he's not the only one who rose because he rose. He will bring to life all those that believe in him. He is our way to eternal life. Because he lives, we can live also. This is the great picture of what we're going to see this afternoon in baptism. That because Christ died and rose, so in him we die and will rise again to new life, to eternal life. What is this great life? How is it that we have this eternal life? There's uh, uh, many ways that I can tell you, that I can describe for you what it is that we need to know to have this life. But Paul tells it like this in 1 Corinthians 15. For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. This is what we're called to believe to have life, that Christ died not for himself, not for our, his own sins, not for his own problems, but for mine and for yours. He died in our place for our sins, but then did not stay dead, but completely defeated and destroyed sin and death, rising again on the third day. And so what are we called to do? As Paul says to the Philippians, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And you will be saved. Our last thought this morning. This Jesus mission was great. His mission was difficult. And finally as we look at the last verse of our text this morning. Jesus mission was hard to understand. Now. You, you can laugh when you read verse 34. Because I do. As verse 34 says. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not know the things which were spoken. So in the one verse there, in the one sentence, Luke tells us that the twelve didn't understand, but he tells us three times they didn't understand. So he said three statements there. All of them are, they didn't understand. He just tells us in a different way. Uh, what Jesus was about to do didn't make sense. It, it, it was hard to understand. And, and as Jesus told them this, they kind of looked at him, perhaps, with blank faces. What? Now, this wasn't the first time Jesus had told them this. He told them this before. And every time he told them, they had those same blank faces. What? That doesn't make sense. If you're the king, if you're going to bring the kingdom, why would you die? That doesn't make any sense. 
We've seen a few of the prophecies today, just as in reference of the Old Testament, uh, of Jesus uh, and what he would come to do. So it wasn't like this was new information. The Old Testament has the prophecies and tells us about it. It's full of them. And these prophecies were important to Israel. They'd spent a whole bunch of time learning them and memorizing them and coming to know what the Messiah would be like. So God has told them about it. God has told us how he works, what his work would be. The same is, is true to us today. God tells us in the Bible what he is like. And he tells us how he works. But isn't it true that so often when we hear perhaps the word of God say something about God or we see God work in our lives, we act confused? What? Why this? Why does my life look like this? This isn't what it's supposed to be like. It was supposed to work out differently. God was supposed to do something else. See, we often misunderstand God's work. The disciples weren't like the Pharisees in that they weren't cold and hard-hearted and looking only for one thing. They believed Jesus, and they believed Jesus was the Messiah. But they still didn't understand all of that that meant. They still didn't grasp everything that, that Jesus meant by who he was as the Messiah. See, we all have a limited scope, a limited understanding. And we build expectations. And the, the disciples here had expectations expectations not dissimilar to what the Pharisees had of the Messiah. They expected the Messiah to come and and to bring his kingdom. That's what Palm Sunday is all about. Bring your kingdom, rule for us. Their expectations had the same sort of thing, but then when Jesus starts talking about him being the king, but then this king dying, it just doesn't make any sense to them. Why would the Messiah die? How is that ruling as king of kings? Makes sense then why Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 1, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block, to the Gentiles foolishness. Doesn't make sense. Even though God tells us and he shows us his ways, they aren't always easy for us to grasp, easy to understand, but... He will make it clear. God gives us a teacher. See here, the disciples look at Jesus and... What? But on the night before he's going to die, he sits with them in the upper room and he talks to them and then he takes them on a walk as he goes to the garden and three times, at least three times that night, he tells them, I'm going to send you someone that will help you understand. It's not going to make sense now. But it will. It will make sense. He would send the Holy Spirit so they could understand, so they could see. In fact, John, I love John for this, this, one of those reasons, because he will write things and he will say what happened and what Jesus said. And then he'll put in his little things. We didn't understand that at the time, but now we do. Because they didn't. But then the Holy Spirit would come and make it understandable, would make everything make sense. So we will learn to understand. You may look at life and you may look at what God has done and you may look even at the, the way of salvation and think it doesn't make sense. This, this doesn't seem like the way it should be. But God can open our eyes to understanding. You know, often in Jesus' life, he would take the time to tell his disciples why he came. 
this isn't the first time. And for most of you here, I'm going to guess that this isn't the first time you've heard this either. It doesn't need to be the first time. They would hear this more often as the time approached. See, this message, this thought that Jesus had as these weeks progress, because we're now less than a month away from his death, this same message would be repeated over and over and over and over again to them so that they could hear it, so that they could grasp it. Jesus would tell them so that they would know why he came, that they would understand it and it would keep them on track. See, Jesus didn't want them fighting with the Pharisees arguing over these things he didn't want them developing a new sect which just added some of his teaching to what they already had he needed them to understand this is why i came and this is what you need to do it's easy for us to get distracted in this world about even good things jesus says this is why i came this is what needs to be said I came to bring salvation. That's why at the end of John, John gives us these words of Jesus and he says, Peace to you as the Father has sent me, I also send you. It is the mission I was given to preach and to bring the forgiveness of God and the love of God. That's what I'm giving you to do. As believers in Jesus Christ, that is our calling. To proclaim the love and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. That is our main goal. To bring glory to God through the message of the gospel. We need to keep focused and keep proclaiming the gospel. Perhaps today you're beginning to understand why Jesus came. Maybe you haven't known before. Maybe this is new information to you. And maybe your eyes are beginning to open to see what this is all about. If that is, let's talk, let's find more and help you see more about why Jesus came so you can find the forgiveness that he is offering. But as I close, I want to give just one last application by observation real quickly. This is not what the passage is about. The passage is about what we've talked about, Jesus dying, why he came. But I think in observing what Jesus went through and how he talks about it here, I think we can learn just quickly a few observations about how God works in our life. What that means for us as we live for him in this world. Firstly, remember this. God has a plan. We talked about it with Jesus here and his death. God has a plan. He knows what he's doing. He's not just moving things and playing around with this world. Before he created this world, he had a plan. And in that plan, he knew you were there and he knew what you were going to do and he knew what your life would be like. He has a plan. God doesn't leave details to chance. One thing is also true, though. While God has a plan... And he knows your place in this plan. What is true is that the way of his plan for you may often be difficult. It's not always easy. Often following God in his purpose is hard. The way of God is often difficult, confusing and heavy. See this in the life of Jesus. 
came. God had a plan, a glorious, beautiful, magnificent plan. But the way to get there was hard. And the same is true in the life of every believer. The way to pursue God means sometimes the way, the path is difficult. And in that means his purpose is sometimes hard to understand. His work may not seem to make sense or even seem fair. You may live your life and find, why is my life more difficult than their life? Or why do I have this going on? Or I don't understand this. His purpose and his way is sometimes hard to understand. Sometimes it doesn't make sense. But be sure of this. For his people, there is always life at the end. Always. For his people, there is always life at the end. Let's have a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for our opportunity to be reminded of your reason for coming. We know, dear God, this is a message that we have believed. It's one we love. Dear God, it's one we need to remember to keep us focused, to keep our eyes and our passion and our hearts in the right place. So, dear God, as your people, we ask, fill us with the glory and the, the, the pursuit of your glory in this life to proclaim the gospel. Let us not get distracted by the other things this world may have to offer. Dear God, if there's someone here today that has yet to fully understand the gospel, maybe in part they understand it, or maybe think they have understood it, but it's beginning to become clear that they need to understand the truth. We pray, dear God, that you would open their eyes to see, to glory, the truth of the gospel that you came to free us from sin and death. We thank you and praise you for these things in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.